are listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. Turn to the book of Joshua, and in Joshua, turn to, um, we're going to look at chapter 7. So if you would, turn to the book of Joshua, chapter 7. Maybe a familiar story to many of you, however, um, we're going to spend some time looking at it, and we're going to see what the Lord has to say to us, amen? Amen. Now, in this particular reading, I'm going to skip around, so I'm going to start at verse 1, but then we're going to make a cup, uh, uh, one huge jump, okay? So just stay with me, all right? Let's start, number one, at, we're going to start at verse 1, and then we're going to make a huge jump to verse 16, all right? Everybody with me? Say amen. amen. All right, here's what it says. It says, but the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban, for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, um, from the tribe of Judah, took some of the things under the ban. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against the son of Israel. Now jump down to verse 16. And it says this in verse 16 in chapter 7. It says, So Joshua arose early in the morning and brought Israel near by the tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And then he brought the family of Judah near, and then he took the family of the Zerites. And he brought the family of the Zerites near, and he, uh, man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And then he brought the household near, um, um, he brought the household near man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmel, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, the son, I mean, from the tribe of Judah, was taken. And then Judah said to Achan, my son, I implore you, Give glory to God and God of, I mean, glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give praise to him. Tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. So Achan answered Joshua and said, Truly, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil with the beautiful mantle from Shinar, and from the 200 shekels of the silver and the bar of 50, she- I mean gold, 50 shekels in weight, Then I coveted them, and I took them. And behold, they are concealed in the earth beside my tent with my silver underneath it. Verse 22 tells us, So Joshua sent the messengers, and they ran to the tent. And behold, it was concealed in his tent with the silver underneath it. They took him from the inside of the tent and brought them to Joshua and all the sons of Israel, and they poured them out before the Lord. Then Joshua said to all of Israel, to all of Israel with him, um, took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the mantle, the bar of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that belonged to him, and they brought them up to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. And all of Israel stoned them with stones. And they burned them with fire, and they had stoned them with stones. Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray once more. Dear Lord, um, give a blessing to those who not only hear your word, God, but I pray, God, that as we dive into this sermon, God, that they would um, be not only hearers but doers. We pray that you would bless the messenger, God. Purify me as I attempt to convey your message in Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So, as many as you may um, remember, um, a, few, a few Sundays ago, I had a chance to preach a sermon based on um, 
based on Judges in the book of Samson, I mean, on the, um, the book of Judges concerning the character of Samson. And one of the things that we talked about in that sermon in talk, um, entitled Don't Get Too Comfortable was this idea that, you know, one thing that leads us into failure is this idea of being comfortable and, and being complacent in a time where we shouldn't be, right? And, it, and that it's something that happens slowly over time, right? One individual's choices can affect, can affect their failure, right? Amen? But now we're going to look at that in a corporate sense. We're going to look at, we're going to look at the story of Achan, and we're going to look at the story in the book of Joshua about, about Achan, his sin, and how it affected people corporately in this, in this message that's titled, Lessons from a Team Loss. Lessons from a Team Loss. How many of you guys are sports fans? Raise your hand. All right. How many of you guys are college football fans? Okay, a little few less hands. Okay. Well, bear with me. I have, a, I have a story to tell about a college football team, so bear with me. In, in 2008, the University of Florida Gators, led by their highly touted QB, um, Tim Tebow, ended the season with the highest expectations. You see, in 2007, Tim Tebow had won the Heisman Trophy, which is, the, for those who may not know, the award for the best college football player in the nation. They had, they had a great offense and a great defense, and they had finally put all the things, to, I mean, in 2007, and they finally put things together where they were able to make a championship run. And so it, it turns about in, in 08 that when they were, cho- I mean, in the beginning of 08, they were picked in the preseason to be one of the few teams that could be a, contending for a national title. And so as they were, and so as the season began, they were well on their way. In the first three games of the season, all win is expected as they beat their opponents by a total of 112 points to 19. But on September 27, 2008, things changed dramatically. On this Saturday, in front of a, in front of a crowd of about 90,000 plus home fan, I mean fans at home, they played unranked old, the, the unranked Ole Miss Rebels. At two and two, this OK team was considered, I mean, this OK team um, had a chance, but not, was not really considered that they were going to win. In fact, they were 22-point underdogs. And as the game began, things went as planned. Florida jumped off to an early lead. They started the lead by halftime. They were up 17, 17 to 7. But after halftime, Ole Miss had a different plan. Ole Miss cost Florida to start making mistakes, to play out of character. The team's best weapon, Tim Tebow, was limited as he tried to will the team to victory. But the game remained close, and they fought to the bitter end. But in the end, the score did not fall in the favor of the University of Florida. They lost. Ole Miss 31, Florida 30. Now, Ole Miss found themselves in the home, I mean, in the, I mean, in the, um, on the home team's field celebrating a major upset. University of Florida was ranked number four at the time. They were not expected to lose that game. Gator Nation was confused. We're supposed to win the game, but that's what they asked. But at the end of the game, they got a chance to learn a very, valuable lesson as individuals and as a team. Never take any opponent lightly. 
Everyone must play hard, play as a team, and avoid mistakes, and victory shall surely come. And that, in a summary, is what it means for this, for this particular chapter of the book of Joshua. You see, the people of Israel had just experienced one of the biggest victories they had had across their time working through conquest. You see, there's this ragtag group of people who had left Egypt. They were in the wilderness, and God was trying to get them to a place that was called the Promised Land, this land flowing with milk and honey. The only problem was they took a band of people who were slaves, and they were telling them, how, and, and God had to turn them into warriors and fighters so that they could conquer the land. God told them that the land that they were going to would be the land that they would inherit, that they would have, and that the Lord would use to bless them, but they had to conquer it. Is everybody still with me? And so in the story of Jericho, they saw the biggest win and the biggest miracle ever. It was a battle that they were not supposed to win, but yet somehow they won. Many of you are familiar with the story. You may have heard it in Sunday school. God tells, Jer tells, um, tells Joshua, listen, men, I have given the city to you. All you have to do is take the Ark of the Covenant, take your priests, take your warriors, walk around the wall, blow the trumpet. But listen, do not shout out until I tell you to. And on top of that, they did that for seven straight days. And at the, la at the end of the time, at the end of the seventh day, they walked around the wall, they blew the trumpet, and they shouted, and the walls of Jericho came down. A battle they weren't supposed to win is a battle that they won. And so now they have all the confidence in the world now because they've, they won a battle they shouldn't have won, and now they're moving on to a small town of Ai. Now here's the thing. Ai is a lot different from Jericho, a lot different. Ai was a small town that sat on top of a hill, and by all indications there was less of a population that wasn't supposed to be much of a challenge. And so when we look at the story, so when we look at the story, I mean, we look in Joshua, we see that at the beginning, at the beginning of chapter 7, verse 1, we see that God makes this abundant summary statement before they even go into the story. And it says, but the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to those things under the ban. I mean, for Achan, and we'll get back to what the ban is in a, in a few minutes. But then it says that they went up. They decided that they would go up, that they would send spies. Joshua sent spies up to go and check out I. And they decided, and I'm going to skip through some of this because I don't want to be long with the story, okay? But when we look, we see that somehow, some way, a, I mean, a battle that they were supposed to win, they end up not winning. You see, what they learn is that in the next, I mean, what they learn is they're forced to lose to I, and now they're forced to learn a tough lesson as individuals, but more importantly, as a group. You see, again, we talked about in this last sermon that I had called Don't Too Get, Get Too Comfortable about the idea of what it means as an individual to take responsibility for who you are and what God wants you to be. But now we're going to look even deeper, and now we're going to look at that as a group, as we look at this crushing loss for Joshua and the, and the people of Israel as we try to learn lessons from a, team, from a team loss. As we begin the story, as we look at chapter 1, I mean, we look in chapter 7, looking at verse 2, it says, Now Joshua sent the men from Jericho to Ai, which is near beth which is east of Bethel, and he said to them, Go up and spy out the land. 
In verse three, I mean, in verse three, he says, and they returned to Joshua and they said to him, but do not let the people, do not let the people go up. About two or 3,000 men need to go up to Ai. Do not make all the people toil up there, for they are few. You see, at the beginning of this story, at the beginning of this story, we see that the people have already taken, all right, here we go. All right, let me, you know what? I'm trying to, I'm trying to be a slave to my nose. Can I just talk, y'all? Amen. Okay. I'm, I'm trying to be a slave to my nose, so y'all forgive me, okay? All right, so here's the thing. The first point is this. As we look at the Battle of Jericho, I mean, as we look at the Battle of Ai, one of the first things that we start realizing when it comes to learning lessons from a loss is, number one, we first learned the lesson that if we, if we, not only do we win together, but we lose together. You see, in the city of, in the city of Ai, I mean, you see, in the previous battle, God had told, Jer- I mean, had told um, Joshua that Jericho was theirs. God had already established that it was theirs to, I mean, that it was their battle to win. All they had to do was be obedient, follow God's word, and it was, and it was going to ring true. Amen? But now, here's the thing. Because of that miraculous victory, they gained some confidence. And why not? The God of the universe has shown himself, and he has made us put himself in such a way where he is able to, where, I mean, where he has helped to will them to victory. Amen? But now here's a different problem. Now they get to the small city of Ai, and they say to themselves, oh, this is just I. We can just, let's just send a few men up there. Let's just try to, we'll just go ahead and take them, and then we'll, we'll, have our, we'll have lunch and we'll be fine, right? And that's where the mistake came in. They found themselves in a place where they had gotten too comfortable. They had found themselves in a place where they were, they were more overly concerned. They were more overly concerned with not following the Lord and not doing what he said rather than accomplishing the goal, amen? Now, let me, be more, let me be even more specific about this. You see, in the previous victory, again, God had already told Jericho, I mean, had already, I want to say Jericho so bad, forgive me. Um, God had already told Joshua it was going to be given to them. But now, in this particular thing, look at verse 2. It tells us this. It says that Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon. Now, here's the thing. Notice what's not there. In, this, in the story of Jericho, God tells them how to advance. In the city of Ai, Joshua listens to the spies on how to advance. Is everybody following me? It is no longer now God who is leading the conquest. It is now Joshua and the spies and the nation of Israel trusting in their own strength to accomplish the goal. And you see, because they tried to trust in themselves, they lost. And not only that, it was not only just a loss, it was a stinging loss. Why? Because when they went up there, they came back with 36 less men, many who had died. In fact, the Bible tells us, as you read on, it tells us that in verse 4, it says, so about 3,000 men from the people went up there, but then they fled from the men of Ai. In verse 5, the men of Ai struck down about 36 of their men and pursued them from the gate as far as the Shivram, the Shivaram, and broke, I mean, struck them down at the, I mean, at the descent, at the hearts of the people melted as if like water. So what this is saying is this, I was on a hill, the people went up the hill, 
Well, then the people of Ai ran them back down the hill, right? They were supposed to win. Jericho was a battle that they were supposed to lose, but I was a battle they were supposed to win. Why didn't they win it? Why didn't they win it? Because they trusted in themselves rather than the Lord. And because of it, they suffered loss. If you go back to verse 1, it tells you, even before this story is even told, it tells you in summary that the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban. For Achan, the son of Carmen, and it goes on to tell who it was who took some of the things under the ban. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against them. You see, God was upset with the whole entire nation of Israel. But now the problem was, to our best recollection, we see only one man had really done something. Why would God get mad at a bunch of people even though only one person did something. Well, I'm glad you asked, because it's because this is called what we call corporal responsibility or what we call, um, I would, there's another terminology for it, but I would just call it corporate personality, which means that when God sees Israel, he saw the people not as this hodgepodge of different individuals that does different things, he saw them as a collective people. And remember, the people God was with the people when they went into battle because he was in the ark. And so what it meant was that, listen, if God was in the midst and God requires holiness, God wanted every person who was there to be holy. And notice that when one person failed to do their job, God didn't just blame one, God blamed all. Now you go, wow, Reg, that's kind of, that's, that's kind of tough, isn't it, Reggie? But here's the problem, guys. We have a corporate responsibility. We have a corporate responsibility to see and lift each other up. Amen? You see, if we don't do that, if we don't learn how to lift each other up, then that means we fall together. In fact, let me give you something to think about. Everyone, hold your finger right where you are and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 12. And when you get there, let me know. Just say amen. Amen. Now if Reggie can just have it, that'd be nice. Amen. Come on, Reggie. Here we go. All right. 12, 12. Here it is. It says this. For even as the body is one and yet has many members... All the members of the body, though there are many, are as one body. You see, simply put, I need you to not only be concerned about you and what you do, but I also need you as a brother or sister to be concerned about what I do. We all need to be concerned about each other because we are all a part of one body, amen? That's the body of Christ. And the reality is this, guys, when one person commits a sin, we as brothers and sisters should be, we should be gracious and loving enough to go to that person and try our best to encourage them, to admonish them. And listen, if they're wrong, we have to tell them that, that they're wrong. Is anybody following me? 
But listen, if one part of the body is not doing its job, we need to make sure that it corrects and that it does its job. Amen? And so when God sees us, so, when, so listen, when we talk about, we talk about the church too in two ways. Number one, usually when I refer to church, we talk about the church as meaning the local body of believers. But then there's the universal body of believers. God has a certain expectation, a certain standard, and he has a certain purpose for all of us. Amen? And he expects us to work together to achieve that. Amen. And so I can't just be concerned about what I do, which is important. I need to be concerned about what I do because my personal holiness is going to help my brothers and sisters. Amen. But yours will also help me and it will help other believers. We must, we must learn that we not only win together, but we lose together. There was a story told of a, of a young, small pygmy who, was, um, who had the opportunity to, um, I mean, at, at one point, he was um, battling an, an rhinoceros. Well, as, as another man comes by, he sees that the pygmy, a small pygmy, is standing on top of the rhinoceros, and he wonders to himself, wait a minute, did you kill this rhinoceros by yourself? And the pygmy, and the, I mean, did you kill this rhinoceros? And the pygmy says, yes, I did. And, he said, and so then the leader says, wait a minute, you kill the, if you kill the rhinoceros, what'd you do it with? And the pygmy says, with my club. Well, then he said, and so then the leader responds, how big is your club? And the pygmy responds, about 100 people. And so the point, <laughs> so the point of the story is this, guys, is that the pygmy was surrounded by folk who were like-minded, had the same belief system, and because of it, he wasn't able to be attacked, but rather attack the enemy against himself. Amen? And so we as a body of believers should stand united, standing against others, standing against the darkness, standing against the world to try to accomplish God's will and to encourage other believers. Amen? Now jump back over to Joshua. You see, any weakness or, inf see, any weakness or infection in one part of the body, I mean, one part of a human body can contribute to the weakness and infection of other parts of the body. And so it is with the body of Christ. If one part suffers, and this is me actually quoting 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26, but it tells us this. It says, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. So in the end, we have to remember that as a body, we win together and we lose together. When my brother is hurting, it hurts me. When my, sister is, when my sister is hurting, it hurts me. When you win and you do well, I'm excited for you. When, you, when things go bad, I, I'm sad, right? That's the way we should be about each other. We should not be a part of what the world standard is of going backbiting and gossip and standing against other people. We should be people that band together to strongly unite and be able to withstand anything the devil throws at us. Amen? Not only that, it leads me to another lesson. Lesson two. You see, lesson one, just to make sure you got it, lesson one was we win together, we lose together. Lesson number two. Always remember the keys to victory. Now, I've already pretty much exhausted most of my point, consist, I mean, that's consistent with this particular ideal. And just to, I'll recap it really quickly. You see, when they went to the Battle of Jericho, they, were, they had, had God on their side. God told them when to act and how to act and when to do it. 
and God gave them victory. But when they went to Ai, they decided that, listen, I'm going to send spies up, I'm going to do my own thing, and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to try to attack. Notice, there's a couple of things you notice in Joshua chapter 7. Number one, if you look at verses, if you look at verses four, I mean three, does it ever mention that the Lord told them to go send spies? No. Also, that it also say, look in verse four, he says, so about 3,000 men from there, I mean, went up from there. Did God tell them to send anybody? No. God had not told them yet to go and do men and take the city yet. You see, God prepared the city of Jericho when it was time for them to attack. And if you go on and read in verse, and you go on and read in chapter 8, you'll realize that eventually, after they get their butts kicked in I, they finally start listening to the Lord. And then, in, and you'll see in chapter 8 where it says, then the Lord told them, I've given the city to you, now you can take it. You see, we have to learn as a people to always remember, always remember the keys to victory. You know, in football, there's always things that are preached in practice. There are certain things that are certain mantras, that are certain things that you're always being told. And the hope is that as you remember these keys, you will, you will remember them at the right time, you will act on them at the right time, and victory will ensue. Amen? But when we forget the keys to victory, we fall short. We fall short. You see, Joshua, after these men had went up and, and gotten beat up, basically, the men ran down the hill, and they even lost men, 36 men to be exact. You see, Joshua was so distraught about the loss that he tore his clothes, and he fell on his face. What went wrong? We've already talked about that. You see, in their victory against Jericho, let me recap it. They sought the Lord for the plan of victory. They followed the Lord's plan. But in the, but in the battle of Ai, Joshua sought the counsel of his, of his spies rather than the Lord, and he moved on his own prompting instead of the Lord's. They had forgotten what had brought them to victory the first time, and it cost them dearly. Wiersbe, Warren Wilsby tells us this as a quote. He says, what Israel needed was God confidence, not self-confidence. What Israel needed was God confidence, not self-confidence. And there's a principle there. Our confidence should, not, should only be placed in the Lord and his ability, not our own. But once again, our confidence should, not be, should only be placed in the Lord and in his ability, not our own. Most of you guys are very familiar with, um, with I-220. Um, many of you guys may have taken it to get here to church today. But you know that I-220 is a freeway that essentially connects north to south Jackson. It's a way of you going so that you avoid all of downtown traffic to try to get to the, to the um, northern or the southern end of town. And you see, if it's far, it's far enough from where it's being, it's, it's away from the downtown, well, and that's assuming that traffic is not backing you up on either way. I mean, most of you guys have probably experienced that on 220 or 55. But the hope is that even though it's far away from downtown and the accidents, it's close enough where you still have access to the city. But a lot of times that's how we live our lives. You see, most people have God on the loop, meaning that we have them close enough to look respectable, but far enough not to be bothered with. You see, they don't, they don't understand that the true God 
wants to be in the city hall helping us make decisions rather than standing on the loop, rather than standing outward and just accessing God when you want. We don't want God to be peripheral in our lives. What Joshua was essentially telling God in this was, oh God, you helped us get through the real battle, but we, uh, we got this one. This should be easy, Lord. We can take these guys, right? And as soon as he did that, he got beat. He was done. And you see, the reality is this. We must always remember, here's a sports analogy, or maybe it's probably just a life analogy more than anything. Always remember who brought you to the dance. Has anyone ever heard that? Always, don't forget who, who brought you to the dance, okay? God is the one who is providing victory, and God was the one giving direction. They should never have ignored, they should have waited on the prompting of God and the direction of God before they went to attack, and because of it, it cost them dearly. Lesson number three. One mistake can hurt the whole team. One mistake can hurt the whole team. You see, Joshua spent all this time falling on his face, and he asked the Lord, why did I lose? Why do we lose? Look at verse 11. Here's why they lost. Israel had sinned, and they had also transgressed um, against my covenant, which I've commanded them, and they have, and they have taken, even taken some of the things under the ban that I have told, I mean, that I have um, both I mean, under the ban and have both stolen and deceived, moreover, that they have also put them among their own things. You see, to understand this particular context, you got to understand the ban. In their previous fight against Jericho, God had told them, listen, I'm going to give you the victory. I'm going to give you the land. I'm going to give you the city. But listen, the silver, the gold, all the things, the articles of worth, they are going to be a first fruits to God. So God said, listen, because what usually happens in battles like this is this. You take over the city, you take the spoils, and then you go celebrate, right? Well, God said, no, 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 don't take them. You're going to put them in, you're going to put them in the, basically, you're going to give them to the Lord, all right? You're not going to take anything. Well, here's the thing. The ban was still in effect when they got to I. And guess what? When they got to I and they got their butts kicked, they realized something was wrong, and God tells them in verse 11, here's why, you're, why, you're, why your battle was not blessed. Someone has sinned. There is sin in the camp. Somebody has taken the things that I have said are banned, and they've taken them for their own. They've stolen them, and they've taken them for their own. And lo and behold, and, and lo and behold, we're going to find out who it is. But before this, we see that Joshua who was this confused general who was thinking, man, I had the perfect plan and things were going well. Well, now that he realized they made a mistake, and so he gets off his knees, he gets off his face, he runs and he calls all of Israel together and he said, listen, we're going to find out who did this. We're going to find out why we lost this battle, because we shouldn't have lost, right? And so, they, and so he gives them time, then he calls everybody out, and so it becomes a, it becomes a, a whole um, camp meeting, right? Well, then, as that happened, and I'm telling the story so we can progress faster, okay? But we see that he calls all the tribes. The tribes come down, and you got to imagine that at this particular point, Achan, who we find out eventually is the person who stole, he's got to be sweating bullets. He's got to be sweating like me right now, okay? Because guess what? He knows he's taking the stuff, right? 
and little by little, the Lord is dwindling away things to figure it out. Because it says that all the tribes showed up. Well, then it says somehow they got it down to the tribe of Judah. So that means everybody else was like, whew, good Lord. Well, then, you know, he's probably still thinking, okay, I mean, that's okay. You can choose out of all of them. But it's going to be hard to choose this one person out of all these people. Well, then it says, all right, well, I want this certain group of people, this certain family. Whoo. Okay, I mean, I'm still here, but we're not, you know, he hasn't quite got me yet, but we're getting close there, right? Well, then it gets to the point where it says, listen, I want the family of the Zerites. And then it says, I want the family, I mean, bring them, bring them near and near. And then it says that he brought the man, um, man to man, the household of, um, of Zabdi. Well, then it says, eventually, it gets down to Achan. And here's the thing. In verse 19, 19, Joshua confronts Achan, and here's what he says. My son, I implore you, give glory to God, to the Lord and the God of Israel, and give praise to him, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. So now we're at the point where Joshua's like, man, we know it's you. Tell the truth. It's got to be you, man. Tell the truth. But look how Achan answers. Achan answers in verse 20, truly I have sinned against the Lord God, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. So he's very descriptive. Look at verse 21. I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar and 200 shekels of mantle, I mean, uh, I mean 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight. And then I coveted them and took them and behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath it. You see, what it says is this. Achan explained the process of him committing the sin. He said, number one, I saw. Not only did he see, it says, number two, I coveted it. I desired it. I wanted it. I decided I needed to have it. But not only that, it says, I took it. That's the cycle of sin, people. It's not just that we see something that we like. It's that we begin to fix our eyes on that thing where we, can't, we, can, we decide that we, can't, we cannot live without it. Well, not only that, it's not just the thought of, oh, I can't live without it. I must take it. And so that's what he did. He took it. Perhaps he didn't think that it would hurt to take a little bit of the gold and silver in the articles that were, that were supposed to be under the ban. What would it really cost anybody? Would it really cost anything? It had already cost them a lot. It cost them the only loss in the entirety of their conquest. And I'm referring to the, to the, to the people of Israel. This is the only battle they lost in the entirety of their conquest. Number two, they lost the lives of 36 men. Number three, it cost them the grief and sadness of an entire nation. And last, number, on number four, and they kindled the anger of, an, of a holy and righteous God. And on top of that, it was about to cost him the very treasure he stole and the life of him and his family. Principle stands really clear. 
One man's sin affects the entire body. One man's sin affects the entire body. When we look at our sin, it would be easy if the effects were only for me and for me and my own person. But here's the reality. The decisions we make, they not only affect your children, they affect your spouses. They affect your church family. They affect your witness. What does it cost? It can cost you everything. Always remember that sin costs you more than you're willing to pay. Not only that, one man's decision can affect the destiny of his family and the others he influences. We'll eventually find out that not only is Achan take not only is Achan taken out in front of the midst of the people, but it says that his family, it says that his donkeys, all of his livestock, all the things that he owned, even the stolen stuff, was put out before, before the Lord and before the people, right? And then it says that, and it, then it says in what, verse 24, and then, I'm sorry, in verse 25, Joshua asked the question, why have you troubled us? The Lord will now trouble you this day. Now, it sounds tough. It's a very, it's seemingly very cruel in this idea of that the fact that Achan made this mistake and his family and everybody in it had to pay a high price. But let me remind you of one thing. And when I say this, I can only speak honestly in conjecture because we don't have enough details in the story to make this, to make this pool, but I would just like to submit this, okay? You see, all the families stayed in their own individual tents, amen, right? It was going to be pretty hard for Achan to take a whole bunch of silver and gold and stuff and go hide it and dig it up, dig up his, his, the floor of his tent and put it in there and nobody notice. It's going to be, that was going to be pretty hard to do, right? Perhaps he took some, he told his family maybe, I don't know. We don't know for sure. Let me be honest about that, okay? There's not enough in the story to really make that. Y'all got that? But perhaps he told his family. And he said, shh, don't say anything. Or maybe perhaps they were innocent. And in putting himself in harm's way, he also put his family in harm's way. Either way, it's bad. The decision of one man cost him his life and the life of his family. You see, as a young father, and as a young, as a young, a young father, a young husband, a young leader, one of the things that I have to always remind myself is that I have to learn how to make decisions, and I have to try to do my best to make them well. I think that should be a mandate, especially of every man in this room. If you're not good at making decisions, listen, begin step by step to start making good decisions. Maybe you haven't started off making good decisions. That's okay. You'll get there, but you have to start somewhere, and you have to start making some choices. There are some choices that God is asking you, the leader of your family, to make that you're leaving to other people that he's called you to make. God has not called you to be a, stand, a, a person who stands by in your family. He's called you to lead your family. 
And to lead means to make the tough decision. To lead means to set the tough example. To lead means to stand up even when others are not willing to stand up and to say that this is the way the Lord does it, therefore we will do it like this. And listen, you want some help, making de- you want some help and some advice on making decisions? Let me give you a little story. There was, a young, there was a young entrepreneur who was getting ready to be president of a bank. Well, the outgoing president, the soon-to-be-retired outgoing president of the bank, um, he, scheduled a, he scheduled a meeting with this outgoing president, and he just wanted to know what was the secret to his success. How are you able to lead so well and make such good decisions? The, the bank president responded, the gentleman responded, he said, in two words, good decisions. I make good decisions. Well, then the, the young man decided to press him just a little bit more. He said, how do, you, how do you make good decisions? He spoke back in one word. He said, experience. Experience. Well, then lastly, because the young man was still curious, how do you gain experience? Bad decisions. <laughs> and so the idea really becomes that at some point, we have to take responsibility for not only for ourselves, but for our families, and help to lead them well. And if we're gonna do that, we gotta start making decisions. If you're already there, amen, I, can, I encourage you to keep doing it. But if you're not, or maybe you're avoiding a really tough decision, maybe the Lord needs to prompt you to make it. Listen, there are times when you have to make a tough decision. But listen, the Lord promises that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's gonna give you the strength and the backbone to back up your decision. Amen? Again, one man's decision can affect the destiny of his entire family and the others he influences. So in in summary, lesson number one, we win together, we lose together. Number two, always remember the keys to victory. And number three, One mistake can hurt the whole team. Now, earlier in my sermon, I told the story of Tim Tebow and the Florida Gators. Now, this loss was devastating to them. And it turns out that sometimes we don't learn good lessons, right, until we get, until we get woke, I mean, until we get um, basically awakened, right? Well, after that game, something happened in Tim Tebow, and it happened to a certain degree. In fact, before I say anything else, Eric, if you would. the rest of the season. You never see a team play harder 
and we will rest this season. God bless. You see, Tim knew the expectations that the university and all the fans had for them. But Tim himself admitted that they had not played up to their, up to their best game. They let off. They took the foot off the pedal. They relaxed because guess what? The win against Ole Miss was supposed to have been a blowout and it was supposed to win easily. But then they lost to an unranked team and it woke something up in Tim Tebow. You see, Tim, again, realized that he had not done his best. But because of this, notice the words he said, but something good will come out of this. Something good will come out of this. Something good did come out of it. You see, in the University of Florida, this is known as, now known as the promise. It's known as the promise. After this speech, and keep in mind, we live in the age of the internet, Tim's coaches, teammates, fans, fam everybody alike saw footage of him saying that they would be better and they wouldn't make those same mistakes. In fact, as the story goes, the next day they went to practice, they had the hardest practice they had had all season. It was the best practice. They got focused. They, they, were, they were all one team, ready to, do, ready to work together as a team to accomplish the goal. And so the question becomes how they finish. They finished 8-0 after that loss. Not only that, they beat their teams by a total of 372 points that season for the rest of the season. Tim was invited back again as a candidate for the Heisman Trophy, but eventually they won the national championship versus Oklahoma. You see, in a very difficult situation, in a very stinging defeat, God turned it into a great victory. The people learned something about themselves that day at I. They learned that if they were going to be a better, a better group of people who fought after the Lord, that they would, number one, work hard to win together. Number two, keep the focus in mind Right? Keep the keys to victory in mind. And not only that, they would be accountable for their actions and make sure that each one of them were living in such a way that they could, that they could know and serve God willingly. Amen? You see, you can stand. God wants you to take not only this step individual with you, but God wants us to do that corporately for, for each other. Let's work to build each other up. A lot of times, the body of Christ, we get, we, um, we get blamed for a lot of stuff. We get a lot of stuff that's said about us. But listen, let one thing not be said about us, that we're not a group in unity. Amen? And as we live and serve and do our best to live in unity, although we're not perfect, let's take the lessons that we learn from the defeats of our lives, and let's use them to push ourselves on to victory. Because ultimately, we've already won. Amen? It is because of the cross that we have the victory. I've heard it been said, the game has been fixed. <laughs> we win, guys. But now in the meantime, we serve fervently. We, we live and we, we speak passionately about Jesus because we care about him. And we compel the people to do, we compel the people to do so also. Why do we do that? 
We do that because we care about our fellow man. We care about our brothers and sisters. We, all, we want all of them to meet the standard of God. Because, hey, when you win, I win. And when we win, God wins. Amen? Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for, um, for giving me the opportunity, God, to, to speak your word. But Lord, I pray that right now, Lord, that you would, um, God, that you would uh, make sense, God, that make sense of anything I've said, God, and that you would use it to open the hearts and minds of the people in the pews. God, I pray, God, that, God, just as Tebow took that, that, that hard loss, God, and he used it to turn it into a good thing. God, let us remember, God, that you're not only concerned about our individual holiness, but, God, you're also in, worried about our holiness as a group of people. God, we have a corporate responsibility to serve you fervently, to follow your way and your word, to be obedient, God, and to do our best, God, to love one another where we are. But, God, we know to do that, we have to give our lives to you. And so, my, Lord, my prayer, Lord, is that for those who haven't given their life to you, God, that they would do so, that they would become part of the fellowship, God, of the body of believers and be able to walk in unity, God, being forgiven of sin, being rebuked, God, being encouraged along the way, God, so they can, so they can walk in righteousness. But, Lord, I pray for also, also for those, God, who are already a part of the body. Maybe they've taken bumps and bruises, God. Maybe they've fallen short of your glory. Maybe they've crossed, maybe they've, um, maybe they missed the mark. Maybe they've crossed the line. But, Lord, you're there waiting. You're saying, I forgive, Lord. If only we agree, God, with you that you're right and we're wrong, God, that you're, God, that we've sinned against you, God. You will, you will take us back, God, if only we repent. And so, Lord, my prayer, Lord, is that we would leave our hearts open to your, God, to accept you and say, I'm sorry. Lord, forgive us. God, take away my sin, God. Let me be more like your son. And, Lord, we do this because, God, we love you. We do this, God, because we want to meet your standard, Lord. And we know that it's only because of Jesus we can even meet your standard, Lord. God, we do this because we love you. In Jesus, amen.